0: The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. How would you define success? When you get to the end of your life and it is the end of, you know, you kind of, you know, the end is really, really near, what are the categories, what are the, the sort of the things that would determine to your own soul that you have lived life well? What is, what does make up a successful life? Uh, many of us in this church are young. <laughs> and uh, we don't think about the end much. We don't think about, um, you know, um, where we want to be, like on that last day. Uh, we kind of avoid that, that thought. Culturally, we kind of don't like that thought because it's scary and it's like dark uh, that's, by the way, not how the Christian worldview examines the last day. It actually looks at it as very exciting because we're about to go and be with our maker, which just gets better. Uh, you're going to see this in this text. Um, we're also taught just to think about today and think about today and think about today. And the Bible is constantly saying you need, you need to live in the tension of thinking about how you're going to live today, but also you need to think about the end and where, where will you be. Um, people come up with different sort of slogans or things to define what success is for them. Uh, John Maxwell, uh, his definition of success is that at the end of his life, that those closest to him would actually have the best things to say about him. That's his definition of success. So therefore, in light of that, he tries to live in a way that his family, who know the most about him, would actually be the ones who have the best things to say about him. It's a good thing. What is this for you? For Paul... Success is, keep the faith. I get to the end of my life and I've fought the fight of faith and I'm still clinging to Jesus and Jesus is still clinging to me. He says this in the first book written to Timothy, in 1 Timothy, where he tells him, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, hold on to the eternal life that you have made a confession about. Get to the end of your life and whether you have a house or you don't have a house whether you have a career or you don't have a career whether you have money in the bank or you don't have money in the bank regardless of what you have you have Jesus Paul would say win success you have kept the faith. You have made it to the end. All throughout the Bible, starting with, with the Old Testament and Jesus in the New and Revelation, it's constantly saying to those who endure, to those who conquer, to those who remain, we get eternal life. There is this push to persevere and endure. And right now, church, we're in a time where we need to be encouraged and exhorted to keep going. We've been in a pandemic for 18 months, and we've had individual struggles. Many of you have walked through loss of loved ones, dealing with deep sickness, mental health, struggles, loss of employment, the fear of loss of employment. We've had more probably go on in the last 18 months in the life of this church than I can think of in my history of pastoring so much has gone on. Therefore, we must be reminded to endure. We must persevere. We must continue despite the struggle, despite the uncertainty, despite what is going on in and around our world to cling to Jesus, hold on to him, stay close to him, and continue moving forward with him. And this is essentially what Paul is finishing his life, and he's kind of writing this last letter. He is saying to Timothy, firstly, he is saying, Timothy, I have persevered, and now I want to encourage you to persevere. Keep going. So he starts off in verse 6 and says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering... That's a sense in which I've lived my life giving it away. It's literally having a glass of wine. It's all been tipped out. There is nothing left for me to give. I've given my life away and the time has come for my departure. I love his language of departure. This is a, the Greek word there is, it's a picture of a ship that they've pulled up anchor. And they're just about to set sail. What a great picture. He's like, I'm about to set sail. I haven't even started my journey yet. It's only about to begin. I'm about to just depart. And I'm going to set sail with the Lord. That's a cool picture. That's super encouraging. This is his view of the end. But then he says the famous words. And if you've been in church for a while, you would have heard these. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Timothy? I've been beaten, read 2 Corinthians 11, I've been beaten time and time again. I've been flogged, I've been stoned, not recreational stoning, real stoning. Okay. Uh, I've gone through trials, I've had people love me and leave me. He, he goes on in 2 Corinthians 11 to say, like, I know what it's like to be poor, I know what it's like to have lots, I've been on the run, I've been shipwrecked. I've been through all of life, but guess what, Timothy? I've finished well. Why? Because I still love Jesus. And He still loves me. And no matter what happens to me in this world, nothing can take that away from me. I love this. This is so encouraging. I'm at the end of my life, and I have no regrets of living for Jesus. I have fought the good fight. I have finished this race The race, the fight, the battle, the marathon, the faith. And he, when he is saying this, is not focusing on the I. He's focusing on the fight, the race, the faith. That's the emphasis. It's not about me. And we've seen this throughout this letter. And he's going to say it again, that this is not because Paul is great. This is because Jesus is great. Amen? Amen? So, there are three things here I think He gives us to help us to persevere, and I want to encourage you in all three of these things, wherever you are right now, whatever the struggle is that is yours, consider these three things. Number one, faith acknowledges disappointments because they are a reality. I grew up in a church tradition which emphasized faith. It encouraged faith, it it encouraged us to pray long prayers and prayers of faith which asked God to move and do things. And it was a great encouragement to me to, to see my parents pray for hours and hours and hours and then see prayers get answered by the Lord. However, a part of this culture and this tradition is that you can't actually open up about your struggles because that would be the opposite in the antipathy of faith that if you're going through some difficulty, it would be the evidence that you actually haven't had faith. And as I was reading the Bible, I was like, it doesn't seem to be the disposition of the writers of this Bible to not talk about their problems. They didn't feel like because they went through hardship, it was a reflection that they didn't have faith. The reflection of whether you had faith or not is whether you cling to Jesus, to God, in the hardship. And if you read the book, we are constantly exhorted and reminded that hardships will come to those who are believers. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean God extracts us from the real world and puts us into beautiful butterfly land. And butterflies are good. My kids love to catch butterflies. It's a wonderful thing. But that's not the real world we live in. Because all of those butterflies, my kids end up killing. And they're dead. And they're dry. Right? Paul here acknowledges, hey, I'm at the end of my life and it hasn't all been good. It's been hard. And he mentions particular people by name. He says for Demas, Demas twice is mentioned in the New Testament as being a worker with Paul. A close friend, someone who was in the game with him. And he says, he is in love with this present world and deserted me. It is is hard to experience sickness. It is hard to experience a loss of a job. Nothing hurts more than losing friends and having people desert you. This is another person like Timothy who Paul poured his life into. Christian, we should not be surprised when we experience difficulty. 1 Peter tells us, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. Demas has left him. Alexander the coppersmith says he did me great harm. And then he tells them, be careful of him. So he's still out there doing harm. We're not 100% who this Alexander is. There's another one that's been mentioned prior as someone who deserted the faith, that it could be the same person. We're not 100% sure. But either way, this person is in opposition to the gospel message and is intentionally trying to attack, trying to pull down, trying to cancel. Yet Paul, don't you love this, Paul treats him and says, but it's not my job to repay him. It's not my job to get bitter by this. My job is to be honest about it. I will acknowledge He's hurt me. But I'll leave God to deal with him, is what he says. The Lord will repay him, right? He says something similar with Demas. It's like he's in love with this present world. He's deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And then in verse 16, he says, At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me, uh, me. May it not be charged against them. So there's a sense in which we shouldn't be surprised by trials and difficulties we don't need to be silent about them either but we need to voice them in a way which is in faith meaning he's not gossiping he's not complaining he's acknowledging and putting the god christian gospel worldview around them so that they don't actually destroy him does that make sense sometimes you see this in the bible that people go through hardships and all they do is complain I get it. Trust me. My wife knows me. She hears the complaining. (laughs) Often, Carly will say to me, "Are you whinging, or are you worshiping?" And I say, "I love you." Please continue to encourage me. Her point is: with your hardship, go to the Lord. Don't be silent. Talk to Him. Be honest with Him. Pray to Him. Don't just complain this way. Go up this way. This is what Paul has shown us time and time and time again, that we are to bring our struggles to the Lord. Arthur Hopkins says, Our prayer and God's mercy are like two buckets in a well. While one ascends, that being our prayer, God's mercy, the other, descends. Do you find it when you go through difficulties, it actually takes you a while to go to the Lord? i don't know why this is but we go through hardships and we we spend ages just in our own little heads for ages and then all of a sudden we're like ah god exists that's right forgot about him and then eventually we get there paul is saying listen it's okay to be honest about your struggle it's okay go to god and go to god's people and get the mercy of the lord So this Demas is in love with the present world. Alexander the coppersmith is this guy who's fully against him. And then he says that everyone at his first trial deserted him. Paul is being honest about his difficulties, about his disappointments, because there are many. I've been a Christian for around about 20 years. And I've watched friends walk away from the faith. I've watched friends slowly go, what matters most is family. And I'm building this house right now and I've, uh, I've got this other thing right now that, that's more important than God and slowly, 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 slowly they drift because they're in love with the present world. I've seen others say that they're a Christian but as they dig deeper into the gospel they find it hard to surrender all and it becomes too difficult so they walk away. Being a Christian... Is not easy. Being in a church is not easy. We will have people that will walk away. Question Will you cling to Jesus? I got nothing else to give but Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. As people continue to deconstruct their faith, cling to Jesus. As people walk away from the church, cling to Jesus. As people walk away because they love the things of the world, cling to Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Number two. So faith acknowledges the disappointments because they are reality, but faith enjoys the encouragements because there are many. Perspective matters, right? When we go through difficult trials... A big thing that the enemy loves to do is to get our eyes off of Jesus, to get our eyes off all that he does and has done and will continue to do, and only focus on the problem. This is the garden story. This is Adam and Eve in the garden, where they are in this oasis. Like we think of the Garden of Eden like our little veggie garden in suburbia. You know, the one that's dying and you're trying really hard to keep it alive. This is an oasis. Okay, This garden has four rivers, massive rivers. Rivers running through it. We're not talking a small garden. We're talking hectares. This thing is huge. And it has all the fruit and all the vegetation. It's being, they've got everything they need. Yet the enemy is able to get them on the one thing. Get their eyes on one thing that they don't yet have. And that's this tree. So stop looking at all that God has given you. Stop looking at all the things that are yours. And look over here. There's this one thing you don't have. That must mean God hates you. God's not for you. God's not against you. You can't trust Him, right? It's like, no, no, no. Get your eyes on all of this. How can I not trust God? Look at all that He has done. Look at all that He's provided. This is what the enemy loves to do. The enemy loves to get your eyes on what God hasn't done and off what God has done. And we will look. When we're going through difficulties, we'll look at the things that God is not yet providing for us. And we'll go, see, I can't trust him. See, he doesn't love me. See, he can't be good. And the gospel says, no, 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 that's, that's true. That's real. We, we want to acknowledge that that's hard. But get your eyes back over here and look at all that God has done. And that is fuel to trust him in this moment when it appears like he is not coming through for us. Remember where Paul is. He is in a prison. He is in a hard time. But he is so confident of God's goodness because he has been through stuff for so long. He looks back over his own history, let alone just Jesus dying on the cross, over his own history. And he is able to say, look at all the people. Look at all the things that God has done. In the book of Acts and all of Paul's letters, there is over a hundred men and women that he mentions by name. To say, these are the men and women that God has done good things through. So he mentions all these different people, and we won't go through them just for the sake of time, but just a couple. Luke, the great physician, the one who went on a journey, sent by people from Rome to go on a journey and explore Christian faith. Then he starts to join the apostles along the way. So if you read the book of Acts, Luke starts writing, they did this, they did that. And by halfway through, roughly, he starts saying, we did. He literally goes on the journey and he starts living his life with them. And at the very end of Paul's life, there's Luke. Luke's still with him, still traveling with him. That's cool. People have left me. But Luke's here. And what does Luke do? He writes two books of the Bible. That's crazy. This is awesome. Bring Mark. They had a fight some years earlier. Barnabas, he's he's the uber positive guy. He's the smiley guy. He's the guy who sees everything through the lens of, God's so good, God's so good. And so when Paul and and Mark kind of have this fight, Barnabas is like, but but Mark's so good, and God's so good. And Paul's like, nah, not good enough, whatever. They have a fight, they split. And somewhere along the line, somewhere along the way, these two have reconciled and worked things out. And Paul's like, man, if I'm going to be at the end, end of my life, I want Mark with me. The guy who I said couldn't do it, wasn't wasn't strong enough, didn't have the the courage. Bring him, man. Come, I want to spend the last days that I have on this earth with that guy. That's cool. Prisca, which is another, it's kind of like short for Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila. This is a couple, a married couple who were formative in Paul's early days. Paul is highlighting, look, God has done so many good things. You must Think about them. You must enjoy them. You must celebrate them. One of the things that uh, my parents taught me was to have a grateful journal where you write down, here are the things that God has done. And you go back over that journal and you read it and you read it and you read it so that your heart is filled, that God is good. That God has never left you and he will not leave you now. God always breaks through in some way in your life. He always does something that you know is good. And then I I love these little historical things of like, bring, bring my Arsenal uh, jersey, will you? Like, bring my Miami Heat singlet. Um, Bring the, you know, he's kind of like, hey, listen, winter's coming. It's going to be cold. Bring my favorite coat. I, I didn't get time to get it when they snatched me and got me and put me in jail. I love that. Then he's like, and you know, bring the books. That's why I love Paul. It's like, man, this is exactly where I want to do. See, Carly and I are very, very different. Before we had Fletcher, we saved a whole lot of money so that we could go on this great holiday. And I, my holiday dream was this: we go away somewhere, and I bring an entire suitcase filled with books, and then we sit on the beach, and I just read all day. And she was like. That sounds sucky and boring. And I don't bring any books. I want to come over here and we want to trek through a jungle where we don't know whether we're going to live the next day or not. And there's no toilets and there's no nothing. And we just kind of, you know, we ride from one tribe to another tribe on elephants. And I'm like, that sounds really sucky. Books, babe, we could sit there and do nothing. Maybe I could get enough freckles and and stuff from the sun that I'd actually look tan, you know, if we just sit out in the sun. And so we trekked through the jungle for days on end and nearly died a thousand times. Books, parchments, we don't know exactly what these are, but we know at least there's some scripture in there. At the end of my life, I want the books, I want the parchments, I want the stuff that's going to tell me about Jesus and I want to be how to have these, and then I'm going to give them to Mark, and I'm going to give them to Luke. And Timothy, when you get here, I'm going to give them to you, because we are passing this sucker on. I love this. When I was reading the Quran, what I realized about the Quran is a whole lot of just statements of things. And then they have to have a, a hadith, to kind of, which is like commentary to explain the surrounding stories. The Bible doesn't need that. The Bible has it all in one place where it's like, no, no, this is not just a bunch of like sayings and quotes. There's that in there. But this is a story. This is historical. It's rooted in real people, real time, real places, and it's verifiable. This is so encouraging. So we must enjoy all the good that God has done. I encourage you right now. Whatever it is, I know there's a ton of you going through hardship right now. Lift your eyes for just a moment and look back and think about what God has done for you. And let it encourage your soul that He will bring you through. That He is faithful and you can trust Him. And then lastly, faith focuses on the ultimates because they're eternal. Three times in this passage, Paul says, the Lord. So in verse 8, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord... The righteous judge will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Right? It's not just me living by strength and fighting this fight and running this race. It's the Lord who strengthened me. He stood by me. Demas abandoned me. The coppersmith abandoned me. Alexander and others in my first trial, they all deserted me. They all abandoned me, but not God, not Christ, not Jesus. do you love that? He is so sure of God's presence. He is so sure, God is with me. And then at the end, he says, "The Lord be with you, uh, be with your spirit, and grace be with you." Philippians four eleven to thirteen. He says, "Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound I, in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret." of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need, and we need need to take this next verse back off the prosperity, health and wealth gospel people, and we need to put it in its rightful context. Regardless of where I am, I can do all things. Through what? Through Him, through Christ, through Jesus who strengthens me. Some of you know my story of my breakdown in 2014 and I did not know what to do or where to go. And I had a wife who just kept saying, Jesus is clinging on to you, cling on to Him. Jesus is clinging on to you, cling on to Him. Don't quit. Don't doubt. Don't not believe. Hold on to Jesus. Jesus. That was the first time I'd ever gone through a real major struggle in my life. And I know that Jesus strengthened me. I had people in this church text me nearly every single day for nine months. Scripture verses about God and His goodness and His faithfulness. I had people ringing me about God and His goodness and faithfulness. Church, we don't just need Jesus. We need Jesus' people who remind us to go to Jesus. We need each other. This is, this is not Paul just saying, hey Timothy, it's you and Jesus. It's like Paul, it's Jesus and Jesus' people. That's why I'm listing them for you. And you're one of them and I'm one of them. We need each other. And this last word as the, the band come up, this last line of the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you, is actually not an individualistic word. It's, it's a plural word. He's saying church. Not Timothy, church. Grace be with you. The Lord be with you. And this morning, I want to encourage you that as we take communion and we sing, cling to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. And we're going to have a time over here where some of our Uh, Some of our key leaders are going to stand. And if you want prayer this morning, come and have someone else pray with you and help you to cling to Jesus. As you take communion, it's a sign that you're clinging to Jesus. As you sing, it's a sign of your heart clinging to Jesus. And church, whether we get locked down again or we don't. Whether vaccine passports come in or they don't. Whether persecution comes or it doesn't we got Jesus. He died on a cross for our sins. And he rose again to new life. And he is bringing all of us home. And he is present with us in this moment. He cares for you more than anyone else will care for you. He loves you more than anyone. And he will be present with you more than anyone. So let us be a church that clings to Jesus. Let us be a church that sings to Jesus, reads about Jesus, prays to Jesus, and encourages each other, cling to Jesus. Amen? Because He is what we need, and He will strengthen us, and He will help us to endure to the end. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church, located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.